Check, check. Yep, there we go. So, um, yeah, this, you'll hear this story a few times today, the same story. So I'm just going to pray before I start. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to share your word, and I pray you'd use it for your purposes. I pray you'd use it mightily and um, that you'd strengthen us and help us. In Jesus' name, amen. Have any of you ever felt that you were under threat? I, I remember really clearly one time where I really felt under threat. It was when I was a teenager and I was out at Goenna Headlands here with uh, James Donald and Craig Howes and with Tim and Michael Watts and we were out fooling around on Goenna Headland and there was kind of like a round cliff island kind of a thing that uh, had these sandy banks, banks that went down into the um, thrashing ocean and down below there were these massive high sharp rocks and we thought we'd go down and try to get a closer look. So we sort of got down close to the rocks and then we thought time to come back up and I think from memory we kind of had to come up on an angle and um, they got up and I was still crawling up and I came to a spot which was basically just loose dirt slash sand and a few tufts of grass. And I looked down below and there were the, the thrashing ocean over the big sharp rocks and I came to a point where I had nothing left to hold on to and I started just going like this. And I looked down and my heart started beating. I thought, this is it. This is how I'm going to go. This is the end. <laughs> the threat of death was hanging over me. And I yelled out, help me, save me, Amelia. And it was so hard to get down to me. They had to get one guy to stretch his full length. It was probably Donald because he was the tallest. And then someone to hold on to his feet so he didn't slip down too. And they reached down, they got me, and they dragged me up. And man, did I ever feel relieved after that. But that moment of threat is stuck in my mind. Uh, I was trying to remember the story yesterday with James Howes. He always remembers stories better than me, and the story ends up not as good when he reminds me of what really happened. <laughs> he's, like our, he, uh, he's better than our collective memory. <laughs> he remembers it all. But he remembered this story, so I know it's true. But what about you? What do you feel threatened by? I know Nick's bees were threatened by fire, and he went and saved them. For some of us, the threat of uh, health or some kind of injury or illness is constantly uh, over us. For some of us, it's a relational threat. Maybe our marriages are in a difficult place. Maybe we have a bad relationship with one of our kids, and there's this threat that that's going to turn really sour. Maybe it's financial. Some of us, week to week, are wondering, how am I going to make enough money to pay off the mortgage? How am I going to pay for all these things that just keep coming up? Some of us, it's the, a mental threat. Some of us get to the point where we actually think, I, th I think I'm going to lose it. I think I'm going to crack because of the stress. Some of you might secretly be feeling that way right now. But what is the greatest threat that we're facing? Now, I'll put to you, the greatest threat facing mankind is the wrath of God poured out on sinners eternally in hell. Let me say that again. The greatest threat facing anyone on earth today is the wrath of God poured out on sinners eternally in hell. And that's the context I want you to remember as I retell this story again. So Jesus went back to his hometown and news spread far and wide that he was there, his hometown of Capernaum. So they gathered in the house and it was chockers. There wasn't even room at the door. And Jesus started to talk and share with them about God. Well, four men came 
carrying a guy who couldn't walk. He was paralyzed on a mat. They wanted to see Jesus. But they couldn't get in because of the crowds. So they went up on the roof, they made an opening, and they let this guy down on a mat right in front of where Jesus was. And when Jesus saw how much faith those guys had, he said to the man on the mat, My child, everything you've ever done wrong or thought wrong, you're forgiven. Now, right there in the room, there were people who'd come from all over the place, including some experts in the Bible, some lawyers, some religious lawyers, and they'd come especially to keep watch on Jesus, to try to trip him up. And when they heard Jesus say this, they started thinking to themselves, whoa, how can he say this? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus instantly knew what they were thinking. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to do? To say to this man, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home? And Jesus said, I'm going to show you that I, the Son of Man, have authority on earth to forgive sins. I'm going to show you right now. And he said to the man on the mat, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man leapt up, he rolled up his mat, and he walked out in front of all the stunned onlookers. And they started praising God. And they said, we've never seen anything like this before. Let me go back through that story now to unpack it a bit. So Jesus, in a previous miracle, was forced to go out into lonely places because he was getting more attention than he wanted at this stage in his ministry. And he'd come back to his home, but still the word spread. Jesus is around. Jesus is here. And the people came from everywhere to see him. And it was just, it would have been mayhem. Like, I've seen pictures of the house that they think was the actual house that Jesus was preaching in, Peter's house. It was about a quarter of the size of this room. And you imagine all the people that wanted to be and see, with Jesus, see Jesus, get something from Jesus. So it was just full. No one could get in. You couldn't get into the door. And, and, and along comes these four men with this guy in a mat. And you can picture the scene. They're like, oh, mate, you know, come on, I've got this fellow here. He can't walk. Can you... Sorry, if I got here early, if I let you in, then the guy next to you is not going to let you in anyway. So, you know, sorry. Come around this way. Come on, please, look, look at my friend. Can you let us in? Well, you know, sorry, I, I, I got here first, and, you know, it's not easy to get this close to Jesus. Sorry, you have to wait till next time. So they gave up and they went home. That's not what happened. They were determined to be with Jesus. All those people there were to be de determined to hear from Jesus. And I want to challenge some of us today. How determined are you to be under God's word? How easy it for you, is it for you to find a reason not to come to church or to be in fellowship and to hear God's word? But these guys weren't like that. Nothing was going to stop them. They got up on the roof. Now, in those days, most of the houses actually had a ladder up onto the roof. There were flat roofs. There were dry things on the roof, all sorts of things. Uh, there's lots of parts of the world that still do that today. So they got up. Now, they think the roof would have been a combination of uh, thatch, dirt, uh, different things, so maybe some tiles. Whatever they did, they had to make a bit of a mess. And they opened it up. There would have been stuff falling down on everybody. 
and they placed the mat right down in front of Jesus. Nothing was going to stop them from seeing Jesus and getting this guy to Jesus. Now, you've got to try to imagine this guy's life. He's paralyzed. He probably can't eat or go to the toilet himself. He probably can't dress himself. And as in many parts of the world today, it was back then as well, if you have an illness or some kind of crippling disease, you're seen in your, in your physical self as being unlucky. It's bad luck to go near you because whatever you did to cause you to be like that, maybe some of that's going to rub off on me if I go near you. So chances are this guy would have been rejected, ignored, placed, put away in a dark room for his entire life. And he's got the stigma of, well, you're this way, you must have done something really bad. That was the way they thought back then. So they lower him down. I have no idea what, what he was thinking, but he must have been pretty uh, fired up with emotions, sitting there next to Jesus. What's going to happen? And then Jesus does the most remarkable thing. He says, my child, your sins are forgiven. Even in that one statement, my child, it's probably the most acceptance that the guy in the mat has ever uh, felt or heard his entire life. Rejected all his life because of his condition. And then he says, your sins are forgiven. Now the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they were right to be absolutely furious at this. They were right to feel that way because it's true. Only God can forgive sin. So Jesus saying, your sins are forgiven... He's saying, I am God. If I burnt Dave Heath's house down, my brother Alan couldn't come to me and say, don't worry, you're forgiven for burning Dave's house down. <laughs> I would say, really? Did Dave tell you that? <laughs> right? Because if you've offended someone, that's the person who can forgive you. Now, what is sin? Some people think sin is going against your conscience. Not entirely. Some people think sin is hurting someone else. Not necessarily. Some people think sin is going against your own moral standard. No. That's why a lot of people think they're pretty good. Because their moral standard is so low. <laughs> sin is offending God. And every time you break His law, you offend Him. And it doesn't matter whether you know His law or not, you still have broken an offense. Just like here in Australia. If you're a new immigrant to Australia, and you don't know that those signs with numbers on them are a speed limit, and you start driving, you'll still get booked for speeding. Ignorance of the law is never a basis for not getting in trouble for breaking the law, even in the law system here. So, sin is offending God. And here Jesus says, you are forgiven. And they were right to think, who does this guy think he is? So now Jesus decides to prove to them that he really is God. This is epic. He proves it by doing something you can see to prove something you can't see. See, because... If I say, if Jesus says, you are forgiven, who can test that? I don't know. Is it true? I don't know. But if you've got a crippled man who can't walk, you can test straight away if I say, I can make him walk. Okay, show me. So Jesus shows them. So everything's on the line at this point. The deity of Jesus, the God-man, is on the line at this point. If this doesn't work, then Jesus isn't God. So right at this point, it's like the climax of the story. I'm going to show you now that I do have authority to forgive sin on earth 
Because if I do something you can see with your own eyes that no one here can do, then you'll know I can do something that you can't see. So he says, my child. No, he says, uh, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. Now, the guy doesn't get up gradually. He jumps up. Can you imagine seeing that? Can you imagine if you knew a guy who was crippled, couldn't walk, lying on a mat? Maybe he was 40 years old. I don't know. You imagine you knew him your whole life. All you knew was at some point in his childhood, maybe he got sick or something. He's the guy that's been put away in a room and he can't walk. And suddenly he's leaping up. There's nothing can explain that away. And he rolls up his mat and he goes home. Everyone is just shocked. And then they start praising God. They say, we've never seen anything like this before. This is an amazing picture because the guy on the mat who's paralyzed is a picture of us. Before God, with our sin, we're spiritually dead. We have nothing to give to God to say, okay, God, you do this bit and I'll do this bit. Okay, God, you forgive me for these sins and I'll do some good works over here and we'll add it together and, and she'll be right. No, we have nothing to bring. In the Bible, the, the Apostle Paul says that all our good deeds, good works are like filthy rags to God. We have nothing. And so this, this is a perfect picture of our spiritual state. He can't even bring himself to Jesus. And that's like us. Apart from the grace of God, we can't even come to Jesus for forgiveness. We can't even begin to repent. We can't even say sorry. So these guys bring him along. And Jesus sees their faith. It's a perfect picture of the gospel. How are we forgiven? Through faith. He can't do anything. This guy can't do a thing. What good work can he do when he's lying on a mat paralyzed? He can't do anything. He's completely helpless. And it's just like us. And just like those four men, we can also bring people to Jesus. Sometimes we need people who have faith when we don't. Sometimes people, we need people who are sane when we're not. Sometimes we need people who can give us encouragement when we are feeling none. And they bring him along. And he's forgiven. So this would have completely changed this man's life, obviously. And this is also a picture of when we come to Jesus, God doesn't say, I want you to become perfect and then I'll accept you. I want you to become perfect and then I'll forgive you. You wouldn't need forgiveness, would you? I want you to become good in my eyes and then I will transform you. No. We are forgiven so that God changes us to become better. So if you're here thinking, I'm not good enough to be a Christian. No, that's exactly the person you need to be to become a Christian, someone who knows they're not good enough. Jesus said it's the sick that need a doctor, not the healthy, when he was criticized for hanging out with bad people, with sinners. If you're feeling here today, I'm not worthy, can God really forgive me, I'm really terrible, you're a perfect candidate to become a Christian. You're a perfect candidate to enter God's family because you're exactly the kind of person that Jesus came for. And a big question often looming over our minds as we go through life is, will God really forgive me? We've all felt that at some point. But now I've really gone too far. Will God really forgive me? Or maybe we believe that Jesus has the power to forgive, but maybe we deep down think he doesn't want to forgive me. 
So the story before this story I want to tell you, because that addresses that question. Jesus was in a village, and there was a man with leprosy, a horrible contagious skin disease, where your limbs fall off and your eyes fall out. Horrible. So once again, he would have been completely isolated and rejected. He kneels down before Jesus, and he says, Jesus, if you are willing, you can make me clean. You see the question? If you are willing, not if you are able, if you are willing. And it, it says that Jesus, there's two kind of uh, ways to interpret it. One says that he became angry. Another, other versions say he was filled with compassion. Because in the Greek, there's this idea of, of this uh, turning of the stomach, of, of, of this churning of emotions inside. So they're not sure how to interpret it. But both can work. Either he's angry because he's thinking, why would you think I wouldn't want to heal you? Or, you can put it the other way, he's filled with compassion. Anyway, he reaches out his, man, his hand and he touches the man. He touches a leper. And Jesus says, I am willing, be clean. Instantly, the man is healed. And Jesus gives him a stern warning. Don't tell anyone about this. Instead, go to the priests and show them that you've been healed. Give the offering that Moses required so they'll let you back into the community. Instead, he goes everywhere telling everyone what Jesus has done. And as a result... Jesus could no longer go out in public areas but had to stay in uh, isolated areas. And the people still came from, to him from everywhere. That's the story just before. And this addresses the problem. Okay, so Jesus has the authority to, sin, to, to forgive my sin, but does he have the heart to forgive my sin? The answer is yes. Jesus can forgive your sin and Jesus wants to forgive your sin. So what do you have to do? You just have to come to him. And the great danger we have in a church like this is to benefit from the ripple effects of forgiveness but never actually go to God himself and be forgiven. Did you know the number one factor of whether a country progresses or declines on women's education, uh, uh, malnutrition, what else, hospitals, da, 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 all these things. The number one factor is how many missionaries have been in that place and for how long. Converting missionaries. Missionaries that go and tell people you need to be forgiven, you need Jesus to forgive your sins. Not just people that go and build hospitals or do things like this, but people that, who bring the changing, individual life-changing message of Jesus. That's why in Europe you might have a... Uh, person whose father and grandfather were all Christians, but they've left God, and maybe their standard of living and their morals are better than a first-generation Christian in Africa who hasn't had the gospel for a thousand, two thousand years. The people in Europe, the people in Australia, we're experiencing the ripple effects of forgiveness all the time. And so we become blind to our own need of forgiveness from Jesus. Every hospital, every university in Australia is only there because of Jesus. Because missionaries went to Europe thousands of years ago, changed whole societies, and Christians started the nursing profession, Christians started universities, and then it spread across the world, and now it's here in Australia. And so people in this community of Evans Head, hey, it's great. We have all these benefits from the government. We're not at threat of war. There's high trust in the community. I don't really have any pressing needs. I'm doing well. And the ripple effects of forgiveness can blind people to their own individual need of God. I lived in China for almost 20 years, 
And because the ripple effects of forgiveness were not very obvious there, there's low trust in society, there's high poverty levels, lots of corruption. People had an acute awareness that they had need. And sometimes they came to church for all sorts of motives, but they were also spiritually hungry because they were just hungry in general. They were just aware of their need. And there's some in church even, or sort of like in and out of church, you're enjoying the ripple effects of forgiveness, but you've never been forgiven yourself because you've never come to God and said, forgive me. And maybe some of your friends that you're in relationship with, everything's hunky-dory, everything's good, and you've never challenged them with their individual need of forgiveness. You've got all the way there, and then you forgot to tell them the most important thing. So I want to encourage you today, both as you hang out with your friends in the community and for yourself, your greatest need is not financial. It's not physical. Your greatest need is to escape the wrath of God poured out on sinners eternally in hell. And Jesus is the only one that can fulfill that need. So no matter what you're going through, I have arthritis. I've had pain for years, but I'm going to get a new body. Why? Because I'm forgiven. Maybe you have a mental illness. You won't have a mental illness in heaven. Maybe you have relational difficulties. You won't have relational difficulties in heaven. You can't control what anyone else does. You can't change anyone else's behavior. But you can be forgiven. You can have your eternity assured. Matt said today that Jesus isn't a quick fix. He's not a quick fix. He's an eternal fix. And this is why as Christians, no matter what we face, we always have hope. You see, there's so many different religions in the world, and they can give people so many good things, a moral code, a sense of community, a sense of purpose. But none of them can give forgiveness except Jesus. None of them. They don't even claim to, most of them. In Islam, they don't know what's going to happen. They say, when you die, it's up to God whether you go to heaven or not. There's no assurance. In Buddhism, you have to work and work and work and work and work, and most chances are they believe you're just going to be reincarnated again and again and again, and all life is suffering, and around and around it goes. Jesus is the only one that says, I can forgive your sins without you doing a thing. So I want to end with a, um, with a verse from the Old Testament, because some people think God was a God of wrath in the Old Testament and a God of forgiveness in the New Testament. No. God is consistent all the way through. In Exodus 34, 6 and 7, when God was introducing himself to Moses, the Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy, I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin. I want to end with a prayer. And if you've been feeling, maybe God is not going to forgive me. You've been thinking of a secret sin or a habit, and you're like, surely God can't forgive me this time. Or you're thinking of a friend that you really want to reach out to, but you're finding it hard just to push through and say the words they need to hear for fear of maybe being rejected or offending them or whatever. I want you to uh, pray with me now. I'm going to start, we're going to pray for our friends, and then we're going to pray for ourselves. So if you want to 
Uh, repeat after me, you can. Dear God, please give me the courage to tell my friends about forgiveness in you. And thank you, Jesus, that you're able to forgive me and that you do forgive me. Thank you for your words. My child, your sins are forgiven. Amen.